Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. have your Bible close by, your notepad ready to go. Um, an element of Christian living and uh, speaking of holiness and the Holy Spirit. Everybody say holiness, holiness. and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Amen. When, when Christians begin to talk about holiness, now those of you that come regularly know that um, for several months now, I have been talking about different aspects of holiness um, we, for months. So if you're first time here tonight or you haven't been a part of these, then um, just understand we've been kind of navigating the height and the depth, as you were, of, of biblical holiness. And the reason why we do that is because too often... When people start to talk about holiness, it, it kind of gets co-opted by, uh, by being degraded into just a list of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. And uh, we don't want to be those people. Amen. We want to understand what the Bible has to say and what the Scripture tells us. And we want to understand that the truly, the truly Christian uh, Life should be one of faith and liberty, uh, not legalism and drudgery. And we taught lessons on that in the last couple months and what the difference is between those things and uh, how we do not want to ever have a legalistic approach. Uh, but there is, a, there is a faith in God, a faith in his word. And in that, in that faith, there's a liberty that can be had. And instead of just merely trying to not do wrong... We are trying to bear fruit that is pleasing to God. We're attempting to live lives that are, are, are more than just, I, I don't want to mess up today. Now, that, that's a good starting place, but, but we're wanting to grow in God. And we want to live our lives in a way that's not just about how can I not do bad things today, but how can I exemplify the fruit of the Spirit today? How can I do good things today? Um, and so we, what we're really saying is, is we want to imitate Christ, right? We want to be Christ-like. That's what Christian is. We want to imitate Christ. The Christian experience is one of freedom from sin. It's one of freedom from the law. It is a life of personal consecration to God. We, we display holiness. Everybody say holiness, we display holiness by imitating the life of Christ and bearing the fruit of the Spirit. These are ways that we display, if you want to look at it that way, for, well, things that other people would be able to notice. Amen? That we would be able to notice, that we would be able to see about ourselves. How many know it's good to see personal growth in yourself? Right? I mean, it's always nice when someone comes along and says, hey, I, I've noticed you've gotten better at this. I noticed you've gotten better at that. That feels good, right? That feels good. But if, you know, if you're waiting on humanity to do that, you might be waiting a while. We're getting worse and worse at complimenting one another. 
But being able to see and recognize personal growth in ourselves is important. The, the first reason to pursue holiness in our lives, the first reason always is to please God. There is no other reason to try to pursue holiness. There is no other motivation first or before this other than pleasing the Lord. There are things that come after that, and we'll get into that a little bit tonight. But we begin with pleasing the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us in the 19th and the 20th verse what? Know you not that your body is the temple of what? The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God. Now, who is he talking about? He's talking to the Corinthian church. Who was in the Corinthian church? Who made up the Corinthian church? It was people that had been that obeyed the, the gospel message, right? This is where the church was founded on the book of Acts, and then the churches that were founded from the book of Acts of Pentecost, these are all churches that were founded off of that. And so these are people that have been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. So he says that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. It's in you. Somebody say, it's in me. It's in me. Which ye have of God and not of your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are what? It's all God, right? How many know every part of me is God's? Every part of you is God's. He's not just, we don't give God just a portion of our lives. We do not exist without God. We are not created without God. We do not live in this moment without God. Our heart does not beat. Our lungs do not breathe without God. There's nothing without God. And it's all from him. 1 Peter 1.18 and 19 says, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He said, you got to remember, first of all, you were bought with the price. You are not your own. You got to remember you've been redeemed and you did not redeem yourself. Amen. I was a sinner. I have been redeemed. Why? How? Because of the love of Jesus Christ. Because of the blood that was shed at Calvary applied to my life. I am redeemed. Amen. I didn't pay for that. You don't make enough money to pay for that. Amen. And you didn't get that, and he says very clearly, by the conversation of the vain conversations received from the tradition of your fathers. You're not redeemed because you come from a generation of whatever. You're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We are purchased by his own blood. His sacrifice is our only salvation. We are not our own. Amen. Now, this is the, the first reason and why so many never get any further than this. is because it requires selflessness instead of selfishness. This is why some people never get any further when it comes to this kind of stuff than this right here. Because we are living in a society that is plagued with self plagued with self. 
What I want is the only requirement left to fulfill any type of decision making. It's just, what do I want? If I want it, that's what I'm gonna do. If I want it, that's what I'm gonna go after. If it pleases me, that's what I'm going to do. And that's the opposite of what's necessary to please the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Now, I would say this, on the other side of a relationship with God and on the other side of holy living, it becomes a wonderful thing when your will and God's will are the same. Life gets a whole lot easier when our, our desires line up with his desires. Whole lot easier. But until we get to that place, we have to battle our will. And we live in, in a society and in a world that is very strong-willed. And so this whole idea of somebody getting up and saying that we are not our own, that you don't belong to you, it's hard for people to hear. 2 Corinthians 5 says in verse 15, And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves but unto him which died for them and rose again. So he died. Everybody, anyone that would confess Christianity loves that. They love the fact that he died on the cross and rose again. That everybody would, would join together with that. And, and a lot of people love that it says he died for all, and we believe he died for all. But he goes on, the scripture goes on to say, why did he do it? That they which should live, that live should not henceforth live unto themselves. He didn't die for us so that we could do whatever we want to do. We're not supposed to be living for ourselves. What are we supposed to be living to? Unto him which died for them and rose again. We're supposed to be living for him. Because it's the only reason we live at all. Amen. It really gets a whole lot easier when we forego ownership. It gets a whole lot easier when you realize you do not own you. Amen. Amen. The way to learn that this is the right path to take is like a lot of other things with God, is just give God a chance to be God. What I mean by that is, do his will, do what the Bible says, don't do what you want to do, do what he wants you to do, and then see how it turns out for you. Psalm 34 and 8, we know this verse, it's a wonderful verse. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, taste and see. Give God a chance. Give his word a chance. Give holiness a chance. Give purity a chance. Give righteous living a chance. Why? Let me say this. God does not need us so for things to turn out right for him. Nothing he asks of us is necessary for him to have a good day. None of it's necessary for him to have a blessed life. None of it's necessary for him to be strong or to have peace. or anything. He doesn't need anything from us. So when his word asks these things of us, he's asking us to trust him so that things can turn out right for us. 
It's all about us. He's trying to give us a better life. Second reason for holiness is to communicate Christ to others. We attract and reach others for him by our living example. Amen. We have to, we have to live this thing, not just to please God, number one, to please God, but also it's an example that there is a way to live this life that they're not, you know, pushing on the TV and they're not pushing and they're not shoving down your throat. There's other options. Amen. There are other options of living this life than what is just being constantly fed to a, a, a world, to a culture. The third reason for holiness is our own personal benefit. And I'm not, I'm not going to get into these tonight, but I'm going to, you'll see where I'm going in a second. But the third reason would be for, is our own personal benefit. It is the best plan for a purposeful life. It benefits, benefits us now and in the life to come. Amen. Now, for this to happen, for holiness to be active in our life, we have, for the fruits of the Spirit to be evident in our life, it requires a work of the Spirit in our lives. How many know God is holy? He is holy. He says, be ye therefore holy as I am holy. The only way that I can be holy is to have him. Holiness begins with a holy God. Right? I cannot create holiness in my life some other way. It only comes through the work of God. God, the work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us, is necessary for holiness to be who we are and what we do. I cannot be holy and I cannot behave holy without the Holy Spirit. I, I need us, I want us to grasp this. It is an impossibility because I cannot create holiness out of nothing. My flesh cannot create holiness. I can only use the holiness that comes from the Holy Spirit and what it does in my life. So, so we, we, we understand that it's, it's beyond being a good person. It's beyond having a sense of decency or morality. And if you're a good person, I applaud you. And if you have a sense of decency and morality, I applaud you. But the Bible is saying there's more than that. There's more than that. And it requires a complete transformation from the inside out. And it can only come through holiness, which can only come through a holy God. 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. There's only one place. There's only one avenue. One river if you want however you want to look at it there's just one we don't get to choose 
and say, well, I think it's over here. Well, I think it's over there. Well, I got... No, no, that's, that's, that might be how the culture views it, but the Bible doesn't view it that way. We're baptized into one, amen, made to drink into one. The Holy Spirit in me is how I truly become part of the body of Christ. Now, being a part of a church is an awesome step. I love being a part of this church. How many are glad to have a church that you're a part of? Amen. It's, that's an awesome step. That's a wonderful thing to do. But it's not the same thing as being baptized into the body. Signing a membership role or becoming an attendee is not the same thing as being baptized into the body. We are not the body of the church. We are called to be the body of Christ. Right? We're not called to be the body of the church. We're called to be the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit alone can do this. And the Holy Spirit alone can adopt us into the family of God. Look at Romans 8. 13 through 17. Everybody with me tonight? I'm just teaching tonight. I don't, I don't have the voice to preach even if I wanted to. All right? We're just talking. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. Well, that's pretty clear, isn't it? But if ye through the Spirit, somebody say through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they, somebody say they, they, they are the sons of God. Not everybody, but those that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Notice lowercase s there. So the Spirit, capital S, is talking about the Holy Spirit. Then when it starts talking about a, a different type of spirit, a spirit of fear, it's a lowercase s. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit, so the Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Amen. In other words, the Holy Spirit gives us a new identity. We are transformed by the indwelling of the Spirit of Christ, of Christ in us. You say, well, I don't know if I like the, the idea of being completely transformed. I don't know if, you know, you're saying I have to become a totally different person. What do you expect is going to happen when the Spirit of the Almighty God comes into your life, do we really, does anybody who has any, even the, the, the smallest amount of faith or belief or thinking about God, do they really believe that somehow this Spirit of God is going to come into this vessel and I'm just going to stay exactly the same? First of all, what would be the point? What would be the point of God if God didn't have enough, if God didn't transform us at all? And what would be the point of us seeking after a God that didn't 
transform us at all. The Holy Spirit gives us a new identity. We are transformed by the indwelling Christ in us. Romans 8, 8 through 10. So then they that are in the flesh, look at it, cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. How do I know I'm in the spirit? I want, if I don't want to be in the flesh, I want to be in the spirit. How do I know? If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. You are not of the flesh, but in the spirit. If the Holy Spirit doesn't visit you once in a while, not stops by your house once in a while, not is glad to see you when you're going through a horrible thing and you need help, but dwells in you, lives in you. Amen. That's how you know if you be in the Spirit. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. How many are thankful for that? How many are thankful that all those death sins that we partook in didn't completely destroy us, but the Holy Spirit was able to bring life back into us? Amen. Colossians 1.27 says this, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And what is it? What is he saying? It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. Christ, somebody say, Christ in me. Christ in me. When Christ is in us, we put on the mind of Christ. So something begins to happen. The moment the Holy Spirit comes into a life to dwell. Amen. We're going to talk about this in a little bit, but this is why it's necessary that we truly understand how to know when the Holy Spirit comes into our life. Because if we confuse goosebumps with the Holy Spirit, we're going to be really confused. If we confuse, you know, some tears coming down our face and some, some good vibes with the Holy Spirit living in us. Now, it might have been, it was probably the Holy Spirit that gave you the goosebumps. How many know that that'll happen? And it was probably the Holy Spirit that moved upon you and the tears started flowing down your face. Sure. And the Holy Spirit definitely gives a good vibe. But if we don't understand the difference between that and the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, we're going to get really confused when the goosebumps are gone and the tears are gone and the vibe is gone. And it seems like we're just kind of all on our own and we're, where is God? We don't feel different. Nothing's being changed. We're not, getting, we're not producing fruits of the Spirit. Amen. So when Christ comes in us, things begin to happen. We begin to put on the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2 and 16. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Amen. So when the Holy Spirit comes into my life, I start to think about things differently. Is that true? Amen. 
I start to think about things differently. Suddenly things that just seemed like perfectly fine before, I start to question them. Well, maybe that's not perfectly fine. Maybe I shouldn't behave that way. Maybe I shouldn't go there. Maybe I shouldn't do that. The mind, and now it's not automatic. You don't get the Holy Ghost one Sunday night or whatever, sitting in your car or wherever you get the Holy Ghost. You can get the Holy Ghost anywhere. But you don't get the Holy Ghost one day, and the next day you just wake up and you're just like complete mind of Christ. Just perfect thinking. And you wish you could go back and take those SATs again. No, it doesn't work that way, but it begins to transform us. We begin, we begin to conform ourselves to Christ. He begins to work on our mind. That's why Philippians 2.5 says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's like you, you, you need to think the way that Jesus thought. Amen. We understand that, right? Jesus is our example. God in flesh walking around on the earth for 33 years, that's our example. So we gotta be careful that we don't just look at Jesus as so many of them mistakenly looked at him in the, in the, in the New Testament as just the guy who could multiply the loaves and the fish, as the guy that could do the mirror. He can do all of that. But he's actually our example for how to think how to behave, how to act, how to be. Amen. There's a reason why it's called Christianity, to be Christ-like. Amen. And so, so this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, in putting on the mind of Christ, then Christ is formed in us. Right? Because as you, as you begin to think, kind of so goes the rest of you. Right? Right? The rest of you kind of, kind of follows in. Galatians 4.19. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ. Look what he says. Until what? What's, what's happening? Until Christ be formed in you. That's the goal. For Christ to be formed in me. Amen. You say, well, you're the pastor. Is Christ formed in you? Well, we're working on it. Amen. I said, well, I'm working on it. Hey man, I'm not, I'm not, don't, I'm not walking, I'm not walking around like, uh, oh, I'm, me and Jesus Christ, I'm exactly like him. No, but uh, I'm more like him now than I used to be. Amen. Anybody else more like Jesus now than you used to be? Amen. And so we, we see that formed in you. The one, one commentary said this, it said it like this, that you may live nothing but Christ, think nothing but Christ, Glory in nothing but him and his death and his resurrection and his righteousness. Amen. You say, well, I, I can't just get all consumed with Christ. I got other things to do. No, you're missing the point. I'm not saying go out in the woods somewhere and build a fence around yourself and just meditate on Christ all day. You're, the point is he's saying that the more you become like him, the more your life that you have to live is going to be blessed. It's going to be better. You're going to have more strength. You're going to have more wisdom. You're going to make better decisions. You're going to do the right thing more often than not. You're still living your life, but you're doing it with the mind of Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Now you can see, you can begin to see 
how this is so contrary to the world and to the kind of modern culture. But also notice what it does for us. This is, this, is, this, is what I, this is one of the things I think is so cool, okay? It makes the complex simple. I believe it simplifies life down. How to live in our modern world has become utterly complex. What to believe, who to listen to, what to listen to, what to think, has become almost impossible to manage. And people are literally just shutting down from overload. That's happening. People are just saying, I can't take it anymore. I don't know what's right. I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to think. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to say. But Christ in me changes all of that. Christ in me makes it all about him. That simplifies it way down for me. Now the only one I have to please is him. Amen. The only one I have to please is Christ. The only, the only truth that matters is the word. The only guidance that I, 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 I need ultimately is his guidance. Now I believe in counselors and all this kind of stuff, but I'm just saying it really simplifies it down when your life is in Christ. It makes it so much easier. And the opinions, oh, that's the beautiful. I love that part. The opinions of the world don't, oh, just don't matter. That's just beautiful to me. It's so freeing and liberating. It's like, I don't, you mean I don't have to care what everybody thinks? I don't have to care what everybody's opinion is? I don't have to care whether they think I'm doing it right or wrong? No. Him. Please him. That's all you got to do. Please him. And that's all that matters. And you say, well, that's hard because I do care. But here's the beauty of it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The more you start living to please him, the less you're going to live to please anyone else. And it gets a whole lot easier than you think it's going to be. You begin to realize that it is absolutely astounding the things we do that we don't even want to do because the culture says we should do it. Amen. The more we make it about him, the spirit begins to conform us to his image. Romans 8, 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. It's his goal to make us more like him. That's always been his goal. His relationship, his covenant, he was always trying to call people closer to him. And as they were closer to him, they would become more like him. His spirit in us is how this is possible still today. I have to have the spirit of God in me. I have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We live holy lives when we let the mind and the personality and the will of Jesus, hear me now, supersede our own. Amen. Now I, and I said that the way I wanted to say it. When we let, 
when we allow, when we give permission to the mind, the personality, and the will of Jesus to supersede our own mind, our own personality, our own will. Amen? So you have to allow the Holy Spirit to work in you. Amen. The, the Holy Spirit is given to us, the Bible says, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So God, God is, is about giving the Holy Spirit. That, that's actually, you know, whether or not he'll give it to you is not a question. There's a process, of course. I mean, you do have to re be repentant of your sins. But he will fill you with the gift of the Holy Spirit. But being filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit does not automatically mean you're going to allow the Holy Spirit to supersede your mind, your personality, your will. That's on you. That's on me. Right? We have to allow him to do that. We have to allow him to conform us. We have to lay ourselves down. We have to be crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not me anymore. Christ liveth in me. Right? His goal is to make us more like him. Jesus lived on the earth for 33 years to give us an example to pattern after. Look at 1 Peter 2, 21 through 24. For even hereunto were ye called... Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Amen. He says, we've been called. Everybody say, I've been called. We've been called. We've been called to understand that Christ suffered for us. That he suffered for us, that he lived on this earth, that he lived in his humanity. I mean, that's suffering enough, isn't it? Taking on a robe of flesh, they tried to kill him from the moment he was born. He suffered for us. Why? As an example. Why? So we could have some steps to follow. Some direction. And what, what is the direction? He didn't sin. Guile was not found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile again. When they came at him, he did not go back at them. When he suffered, he, he didn't threaten the people that, suffer, that he were suffering at their hands. But what did he do? He committed himself to that, who, that, him that judgeth righteously. That's what we're supposed to do. These are things that we're supposed to do. You say, well, I can't do that because it starts out with he did no sin. Well, I beg to differ. If, if you're trying to do it in your flesh, you're definitely not going to do that one. Neither was no guile found. No, nope, you're not going to do that one. Reviled, then you're not going to revile again. No, nope, you're definitely going to revile again. 
You, you, the people whose hands you suffer, you don't threaten. No, you're going to threaten them. We can't do any of those things. So he's not saying, I gave you an example to how to do this in your, in your flesh. He's saying, I gave you an example how to do this being filled with the Spirit. And if you're filled with the Spirit, there are things that you are more capable of. His death and resurrection defeated sin and death, giving us the power to follow his example. So holiness, holiness means letting the spirit, the personality of Christ shine through us. We want to display his spirit. We we want to please him, to be like him. This is what we're trying to accomplish. This is the goal of these things. It's not just, let's see, can we create some religion and make it hard on people? It's not just, can we just do everything opposite from the way the world does it? No, it's not that. We're trying to please Christ by imitating Christ. We want to live as he lived and do what he would do. We want to manifest the characteristics and traits of Jesus Christ in our lives. Amen. If you start to think of holiness decisions in your life, inside, outside, if you start to think of holiness choices in your life as ways of imitating Christ, of pleasing Christ, of being like Christ, it changes everything. It changes everything. Part of the struggle that people have is they, they, they automatically, even though nobody's ever got up here and said it, nobody's ever preached it or taught it, but people just automatically assume that holiness, both inward holiness and outward holiness, is just us meeting up to some sort of man-made regulation. And if you start from that place, yeah, sure you're going to hate it. I would hate it. Sure you're not going to want to do it. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it at all. But when you begin to look at it as imitating Christ and what would Christ do and what would Christ think and how can I please Christ, and then you start to look at some of these things, you start, it starts to make a lot more sense. You start getting into the ideas of, of, of modesty. You get into the ideas of behavior. You get into the ideas of what comes in, what I allow to come into my life. The, you, you start thinking about the things I allow to come out of my mouth, and you start comparing that to Christ. Amen. We literally could have had the greatest Jesus revolution ever in this country if we would have taken the WWJD thing seriously. If we wouldn't have turned it into bracelets and pillows and posters on the wall and actually just done it. It would have been the greatest revolution, Jesus revolution ever. What would Jesus do? Do that. Instead, we found a way to make money off of it. We found a way to manipulate it. We found a way to make it meaningless. 
the reality of it is, as you begin to look at the life of Christ and study how he behaved and how he acted, what his goals were, what his point was, how he responded to the world, what affected him, what peer pressures he did not give into, what customs and cultures he would not follow, what things that he wouldn't do or he would, what behaviors he never displayed or behaviors he displayed all the time. When you begin to look at holiness in that way, it's beautiful and it's challenging. Amen? So we want to display it. We want to please. We want to live. We want to manifest. And in this, we become living examples of Christianity. It's no longer just some religion that we joined. We become living examples. We become open letters for Christ to the world. Have you ever thought about your life that way? Have you ever thought about your life and how you live and how you act being a letter from Christ to the world that's been written by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3 says, Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in ta tables of stone, but in the fleshy tables of the heart. Amen. Our life, our life, as a letter for others to read and to glorify who? God. Not us. Not us. If my letter, if my life is a letter that brings me glory, something's wrong. Amen. If my life is a letter that somehow gets me praise, something is wrong. Matthew 5 says, ye are the light of the world. Verse 14 and 16, you know it. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, how is my works, how is anything I do in flesh going to glorify God? It can't. It cannot. He already told us earlier that the things of the flesh are dead. The only way the things that I do can glorify God is if I do them through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And then they can... Glorify our Father which is in heaven. The, the word light here, uh, of course, is, it, can, it cannot relate to modern light as in a, these that need electricity. That, it, it's not illustrated of that. It's illustrative of fire light. Everybody say fire. 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 As in the fire of the Holy Spirit. The light that is in us that word that you use there is light, is fire. It's the Holy Spirit that is in us that we do not hide, but we put it on a candlestick, right? Not to be haughty, not to be pompous, not to be better than now. No, to bring glory to God. At Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, you know, look at it again, Acts 2. 
And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with the tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Amen. So all of this talk about the Holy Spirit and how I can only live this way through the power of the Holy Spirit, and I can only bring God glory through the Holy Spirit. Well, this is where we find the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And fire was always the symbol of the divine presence of God to the Jewish people. It's always the symbol. Fire is always involved. But notice it's tongues like as of fire. Tongues like as of fire. What, what, is, what, is, what is the point of that? What is the illustration of that? The, the, one commentary said it like this. The unique appearance, that of tongues, was an emblem of the diversity of languages which they were about to be able to utter. How many remember on the day of Pentecost, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. And as they were doing that, people from all around gathered around and said, how do these people know? How do they know how to speak my language? They're not one of us. They're not from where we're from. And they're speaking all these different languages as the Holy Spirit moves upon them and they're glorifying and worshiping God. And it says it's, it's emblem of the diversity of language which was about to be uttered. Any form of fire would have denoted the presence and the power of God. But a form was adopted expressive of what was to occur. Cloven tongues as a fire. Amen. It was, it was, it was not just illustrated of a fire of the spirit, but, was a, but what was about to happen. The appearance here symbolized their special endowment for entering on their great work, the ability to speak with other tongues. And why? Why? Why is it so necessary that he would have this whole moment on this big feast day? Why does he make such a big spectacle of this whole thing? Why does he let it start in an upper room, but then make it go out into the streets? Why do 3,000 people get affected that day Why, and, and, and are filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized that day? Why does it need to be such a big scene when, when the Holy Ghost is poured out? Because he needs them to see this speaking in tongues thing. Right? Now, we've talked about it before. There's a, there's a lot of reasons for the tongue. Probably high on the list is that the Bible says that the tongue is the, the most unruly member of the body. Right? He needed them to see this miraculous happening. Why? Because from what was going to happen that day forward, all of the transformation was going to require the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So if they missed that most important of points, then they were going to be very frustrated and confused when trying to build God's church that he said, right? He, he, you're going to, my, I'm going to build my church and it's, he added daily to the church. This, this is the only thing in the scripture that he ever called a church. It's what's happening here in the New Testament. And all of that, that came out of that. All of the churches that came out of that's the only thing he ever called a church. So he doesn't want his church to be confused about what the Holy Spirit is. 
and to start trying to live their lives in the flesh to please him and somehow try to be holy without the Holy Spirit. So he needs them to see this significant moment where they are receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit and speaking with other tongues. He needs them to see that. That needs to be a powerful thing that drives home in their hearts because he's going to ask of them after that to become holy and to grow, to have their mind conform to the mind of Christ, to be like Christ. And they're not going to be able to do any of that without the Holy Spirit in them. Amen. And so he gives them the ability that they need. The Holy Spirit is the way by which we become Christ-like. I said it earlier. You can deny the Holy Spirit. You can restrain the Holy Spirit in your life. You can tell the Holy Spirit to shut up. You can do whatever you want. When it comes into your vessel, you can, you can, you can go on a, on a big uh, power struggle with the Holy Spirit. And it's sad, but I watch it all the time. People power struggle with the Holy Spirit. They get filled with the Holy Ghost, but they're not ready for it to supersede their mind, their will, their personality. They're still fighting for their mind. They're still fighting for their will, what they want. They're still fighting for it. So they got this little tug of war which is ridiculous because if God really wanted to, he would just, right? But he chooses, he chooses to allow us to, to navigate that and find that. Why? Because he knows, he knows without the Holy Spirit, we're not going to do anything. We're lost without it. So we have to have it. So he has a lot of patience. How many are thankful for the patience? Of God, the long suffering. So he has a lot of patience, a lot of long suffering. But in, in, in the end, the Holy Spirit has to win. Amen. In the end, you have to lay yourself down. You have to say, I want the Holy Spirit to rule and reign in me. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Right? Because it is the avenue by which we can truly become Christ-like. It's the only way a holy God can ever say, be ye holy as I am holy. He would be asking of us something that is ridiculously beyond our ability. Unless he gave us the Holy Spirit. Then it's possible. Somebody say it's possible. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Because only the Holy Spirit can produce certain things in our life. Part of that is the fruits of the Spirit. Now, we have a series coming up, I don't know, a couple weeks or so, on the fruits of the Spirit that we're very excited about. But these are evidences. Somebody say evidences. Amen. Sometimes people get mad when you say speaking in tongues is evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost. And they say, there's no, it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that there's evi that's the evidence. I'm, I, I understand. I get it. What do you want to call it? Pick a word. I don't care. Whatever word makes you happy. But you have to speak in tongues. That's what we know. But there are other evidences. Sorry if you don't like that word. Call it whatever you want. Examples. Illustrations. 
that the Holy Spirit is active and that we are conforming, that it is, the Holy Spirit is conforming us into Christ's likeness. Once again, these are not automatic. You don't get the Holy Ghost and then all of a sudden, Galatians 5, 25, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they, keep reading, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Oh, all right. So it's not just fruits of the Spirit, but there's, there's also been some crucifying of my flesh that's been involved. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are evidences. So I need to be analyzing myself a little bit. Right? I need to be analyzing myself a little bit. I need to, I need to be gauging uh, where my, my love, my godly love is. Amen. Do I, have a, do, I, do I love like Christ loved? Remember, that's... <laughs> See, it's easy. The easiest thing you can do is find some, some horrible person and compare yourself to them. Oh, bless God, I'm better than they are. I love people more than they do. Well, wonderful. But that's not what we're talking about. That's not the goal. That's not what the Bible says. The example is Christ. So when the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is supposed to bring love out in me, before I just say, well, well, I already got it. I'm perfect in the area of love. Well, you have to love like Christ. You have to love like Christ who took that love all the way to the cross. So I don't even know if there's really even a way to ever completely say you love like Christ unless you take it all the way to the cross. Amen. The Bible speaks of marriage and it speaks of husbands and wives and it tells the husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And I've said that in pre-marriage counseling before, and I've seen men looking at me like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we got that one. We Just go to the next one. I got that covered. I'm like, excuse me, did you hear what I just said? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. I'll just throw that out there. That's just for you. But love, joy, joy, peace. Do we have peace like Christ did? Do we have peace like he did? We, we would be better off if we had more Christ-like peace in our lives. And I mean that in our lives. I'm not talking about, I, I, you, you teach about this stuff and everybody always envisions some like super spiritual thing. And that's fine, we have super spiritual moments, but I'm talking about in our lives. Do we have peace in our lives like he did? Long suffering, oof, these just get harder and harder. Long suffering, do we have long suffering like he does? Can we put up with people like he did? 
for as long as he did in the ways that he did. Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Amen. Stand with me if you would tonight. So we're going we're, we're, we're gonna to dive into that a little bit in a couple weeks. But you say, well, pastor, I don't, I don't get it. Why, why are you talking to the midweek crowd about the, nece- the necessity of being filled with the Holy Spirit? I'm not necessarily talking to this crowd because I think there's a whole lot of people here who, do, who haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit speaking with other tongues, as the Bible declares. I'm talking about how the Holy Spirit affects holiness. How a holy God that is actually dwelling in me means something. It's got to mean something. Right? What good is it? What good is it for anyone, any person to claim that they've been filled with the Holy Spirit, but then it doesn't change them in any way. It doesn't make them better in any way. They don't treat people differently. They're not living differently. What good is it for a church to claim to be a church that believes in the infilling of the Holy Spirit if it does not exemplify that? People have to see that. We have to be a letter that's been written. We have to be a letter that's been written. Amen. Amen. And all of it, all of it, every single thing we ever do must glorify him. That's all it can do is glorify him. And if it's true and if it's righteous and if it's holy, it will glorify him. And we'll be thankful that it glorifies him. Amen. How many are thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Lord, we love you. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord God, for the precious gift. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week. Thank you.